Welcome to the Scale Up Your Business podcast. In this podcast, we talk about what it takes to go from startup to scale up and beyond. How to significantly grow your business, create freedom, build wealth, and live life on your terms. Featuring some very special guests and experts to give you advice and direction on your journey. And now, introducing your host, entrepreneur, investor, and scale-up specialist, Nick Bradley. Hi, everyone. It's Nick Bradley here, and welcome to another episode of Scale Up Your Business. Now, before I get into the topic of today's episode, I just want to say a huge thank you to everyone, everyone out there who's listened, subscribed, because I found out this week that we are number one again in the UK business charts on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And not only that, we've been in the top five in the UK for literally the last 10 weeks. And I'm, I'm so grateful to everybody who's been listening, everyone who's been providing feedback, even those brave ones of you who uh, get in touch and say, listen, can we have a quick conversation on the phones? Because there's been plenty of, plenty of you out there doing that. Um, and it's been fantastic. So I'm glad that the show is helping people. I'm glad that the content that I'm producing is helping people. And I'm glad that the guests that I'm bringing on are of the right mix as well, that you're getting a lot of value and they're helping you with your startup to scale up journey. So on that point, we have another guest on the show today, and it's not an Entrepreneur in Focus um, series one. It's actually more of a specialist. So for those of you who have been listening to the podcast for some time, if you go back to the beginning, I did a episode which was on pitching and influencing, and I referenced a book called Pitch Anything by a gentleman called Oren Claff. Now, I'm absolutely delighted to say that I have Oren on today's show. Wow. Yeah, he's unbelievably good at what he does. Um, I would say one of the world's leading experts in sales, raising capital, negotiation, and that first book, Pitch Anything, considered required reading across Silicon Valley, um, Fortune 500 companies, and apparently there's over a million copies in print worldwide. So this guy, when it comes to pitching, influencing, winning deals, he is the guy. So he's on the show today. Before I uh, introduce him properly on the program, um, a couple of reflections. This is a bit of a challenging interview for me, I have to say. I mean, Oren is a, a force of nature, is probably the best way to put it. And uh, we get right into it today. It's a good, fun episode. I had a great time doing it. But some of his perspectives on things like, you know, you've got to have your own standards and values and live to those standards and values. And, you know, when you're going into meetings where you know, you're trying to, trying to win deals, you've got to be true to yourself. So I don't want to get too much into it today. You're going to get a heap out of this. And, you know, definitely get the, um, the notepad ready and take some notes because some of the stuff we get into is very, very practical. So without further ado, welcome to Scale Up Your Business, Oren Clapp. So hi, everyone. It's Nick here and welcome to another episode of Scale Up Your Business. Today, I am super excited to have with me a very special guest, someone that I've studied for a number of years as part of my own investor journey and someone who has no doubt contributed to me been successful in a number of six, seven, and eight-figure deals. Please welcome to the show, royalty when it comes to pitching, persuading, influencing, and deal-making, Mr. Oren Claff. Very grateful to have you here, Oren. Thank you for giving us your time today. Thanks, Nick. And hey, but what's a six-figure deal? That's like buying a car. Uh, yeah, I just yeah, did a six-figure deal. Oh, really? What was it? I bought a Toyota 4Runner. You've got to start somewhere, and we are going back. I'm sort of saying, you know, I've, I've been following oh, your stuff for well, years. <laughs> <laughs> but what I was going to say before we kick off, like if you if you allow me, the punchline here is there's no commission owed for any of those deals. Are we cool? Yes, we're cool. Uh, <laughs> but we do get we, we do try. We send out invoices, and every once in a while they get paid. And like, oh, I never thought Nick was going to pay this. Okay, well you got to try your luck. You got to do something yeah. like that. All right, so let's let's kick off. Listen, great to have you on the show. Um, now there's um, a little bit more about you, if that's okay, just so the audience kind of know who you are. So I've got um, world-renowned expert on pitching and winning deals. Investment banking backgrounds, you probably don't want to talk about that, uh, pioneered the introduction of neuroscience into the capital markets program. That sounds really technical and boring, but I'm sure there's a story behind that. Technical and boring, my man. Let's get to the good stuff. Award-winning, best-selling author of Pitch Anything, over a million copies sold, required reading, blah, blah, blah. Um, I called this my personal pitching playbook for years, okay? So yeah. I was a little bit disappointed there's a new book we're going to talk about today because it means I've got to learn something new. Yeah. Flip the script. Yeah. 
so we'll get into that. And live in LA, loves motorcycles, cars, cool stuff. Have I missed anything? Uh, no, but we can talk about motorcycles and cars again. <laughs> Maybe it will come into the conversation today. Right. Let's get into this. Because, I mean, what I want to try to do today, if this is cool with you, is, um, as I said, pitch anything. We can talk about pitch anything a bit if you want to. I know that from my understanding now, um, put the script actually replaces some of your thinking um, around that first book because you've progressed it because things have changed a bit. So why don't we go through it? What would be great, I think, would be to unpack the book kind of why you've done it, what's in it. Let's go through it because I think this can become a bit of a masterclass for the audience today. How's that sound? Yeah, I think that's right. Groovy. So take us through it. So why, why this book? Why now? Well, I think uh, when I wrote Pitch Anything, it really changed the way people looked at what was possible in presentations, meetings, online calls. Because before, basically, you know, the selling process that exists today and, and 10 years ago when uh, Pitch Anything came out was, has been around since the 1950s, right? And you probably have talked about it. Buyers didn't have much information and therefore they didn't have much control. Today, uh, buyers come in and through the internet or whatever means, they know oftentimes more about your product than you do. And they're in a different stage of the sales cycle than the beginning. So you don't know where they are. You don't know how much they know. And once you do find out how much they know, it seems like they know more than you do, right? Got it. And, got it, got it. And, and so this sense of build rapport, right? Let them know we're a nice guy and we're easy to work with and find a safe place to sell from. Uh, give them the features, you know, the background in our company, yeah, yeah. the logos that we work with, the features of both our company and our product. Let them know how the product benefits them. Show how the benefits uh, have stretch benefits, right? So um, our accounting software, you know, install and the benefit is you'll uh, have less tax audits. You have less tax audits. You make more money over time. You make more money over time and uh, you have more time to uh, work out at the gym and you'll be, be a wonderful woman there. And because you guys are healthy and wealthy and life is easy, you'll have these amazing children. Those children will go to Columbia and Yale and Harvard University and then then the next Facebook and make a ton of money. We're tired to Malibu. And eventually, they'll build your house in Hawaii, and you'll be having sex and surfing every single day because of this accounting software API plugin. Stretch benefits, right? Is, that, is this one of your recent pitches? All right. Yeah, yeah, that's it. <laughs> uh, uh, so then uh, uh, stretch benefits, and then trial close. So what do you think, Nick? Something you'd be interested in? Uh, have any questions? I like you know, the Malibu bit. Find, ends, but yeah, <laughs> I get yeah. your point. So things have changed. Well, if, yeah, you know, it's trial close. If we can find uh, the right price and timing, it's just something that we can go ahead with. And then the objections come out. And that's really what sales has been over the last 20 years, is overcoming objections. And in my view, and that's why Pitch Anything came out and now flipped the script, overcoming objections has become high school argumentation debate club, right? And you're never going to convince a buyer that the, they're an investor or another party, that the things he thinks are problems are not problems, not today, okay? Uh, and so debating that they don't have budget, that the timing isn't right, that they're happy with their vendor, uh, that they have to show it to their CFO and their committee and the board of directors and Sasquatch has to approve of the uh, proposal and they need to see a proposal and get, oh, talking over that stuff. Once yeah. you run into that stuff, it's real, it's there, you're not gonna overcome it today. And so the tools that salespeople use today when Pitch Anything came out are discounting. Well, I can overcome these problems with discount. Yeah, but if the price was right, you know, would, would the uh, lack of budget problem go away? Well, you know, if the price was right. So, so that system of selling has been taught and refined ever more over time. But as, you know, even that it worked at some level 10 years ago, today, it's just not converting. People are, conversion rates are going down. Uh, and conversion rates can go to zero. We'll get calls from people say, we are not converting. There's too it much competition. To me, it seems to me there's like heaps of leads. I mean, you, when you think out there, there's so much automation around how you get a lead these days, but that just means it's like flooding the market. Conversion, I, can, I see your point because I get spammed every day on LinkedIn by all these idiots trying to sell me something. Like it's mad, but I can imagine how their conversion rates might be zero. Right. So companies are, even good companies are drowning in leads, drowning in leads. Um, uh, I've said this before, but I picture in my mind, uh, uh, you know, a group of campers going up, you know, Mount Kilimanjaro, 
Yeah. Uh, the weather moves in. They're stuck up there, you know, for three days. Use up all the supplies. They're trying to get down. The weather's horrible. They have nothing left to eat or drink. But they're walking on ice and they're dying of thirst. <laughs> and that's leads. We're walking on mountains of leads. Seven thousand companies, seventy-five hundred companies. Sales automation, CRM, yeah, yeah. nomination, funnel hacking. Um, you know, database, uh, lead scraping, um, uh, lead nurturing, tagging, following. You know, Facebook, Facebook automation. Thousands of companies set up to get you leads. But here's what's interesting, I think. And, and this sort of leads to flip the script. Any technology you attempt to use, even Zoom, we barely were able to use this, right? To convert a lead to a sale will make your life worse. And so the, the lost art of human interaction, right? Talking to a buyer and having them want what you have without them seeing the sales process transparently. When they see the sales process, they can just look at it and see what you're doing, why you're doing it, they control you, right? And every buyer knows what you're doing when you're doing features, benefits, trial close, overcoming objections, discounting, trial. they see it. When they can see it, they can control you. So flip the script is about having the buyer enjoy the interaction with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah come to the understanding that you are a high status person in their industry, in your world, in their world, in the moment, uh, in the industry, because status equals trust. All right. Yeah. Status equals You're talking trust. to someone on a, as a, on a similar level, a peer type of thing. So that's you, a peer. Got it. Okay. If somebody believes you're below them, there's a whole host of problems. You cannot continue, propose, pitch, sell something. Can you close a deal with you in that situation? Have you, have you seen an example of the status level isn't bridge? Because you talk about in the first book around frame control, yeah. which is, we went against that. But there's always this piece where you've got to do something to get the power balance on some level, either equal, which we're talking about now, or, but if you're if that low status position, can you ever close? Have you seen that? Or is it just by luck? You, you cannot. You, yeah, okay. you, through discounting. Through discounting. Okay. Pricing, you got it. Yeah. Giving up value. perceived as a, as a salesperson whose job it is to describe the features, send a proposal, and discount you'll have a low margin, long cycle, difficult to close deal, and the customer will be a pain even after they close. That's true. So we can't proceed with the sale until they respect us as a peer. All kinds of problems. We can come back and talk about that. So uh, people say, oh, I can develop trust. And they think they do that through rapport and liking and like me, right? So what sports do you play, Nick? Basketball, running, martial arts, weights. Oh, great. You know, I I love running. What kind of running do you do? Ultra running. Marathon running. running. Okay. Long distance, crazy oh. shit in the mountains. <laughs> okay, great. Uh, so yeah, my buddy's a triathlete. You know, I've just picked up my miles. I'm doing sort of tw- uh, 25 miles a week, 40 miles on a bike, but I'm also at CrossFit, you know, five, five times a day. So it looks like we didn't have a lot in common, you know, through athletics. How many miles a week are you putting down? God, in, in, in the heyday, it was 80 to 100 miles a week until my knees okay. packed up. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and I know knees, knees are really an issue. So now you're going to buy $2 million of stuff from me? No, we talked about running. It was fun, but no, it's different. That's a we're having pub conversation. Not we're not doing a deal. (laughs) We're not doing a deal. So people buy from you when they understand your value. They understand your value relative to the other options out there. They are. um, uh, They know what the ROI you're offering is when they trust you and they have certainty. Okay, that the things you're saying that will happen in the future really will happen. So the sale is not about overcoming objections. It's elevating your status, which creates trust, and showing them that you're an expert in their problem, that you've done it a thousand times. It's an easy push-up. I heard it the other day. Interesting your thoughts. Someone told me the definition of influence is not necessarily convincing someone else about something. It's convincing them that you believe that that's true. Yeah. Which is a similar sort of thing. So if I'm so certain, yeah. I turn up to a meeting, I'm certain this is right, and I can portray that to you or in the meeting, then that level of certainty is going to then rub up on the, on the person that you're trying to pitch to, yeah? So, so showing someone that you're an expert yeah. provides certainty. Uh, and then ultimately, having values that are unshakable gives you leverage. So that's what creates conversion today, trust. Mm-hmm. certainty that what you're saying will happen will actually happen and leverage, right? Uh, which gives you a final line in the sand in which they must make a decision because the buyers don't have to make a decision. 
they will continue to not make a decision. And what's an example of leverage? Oh, leverage? Sure. So uh, look, Nick, um, I'm very excited to propose our accounting services here to you today. We prepared a presentation uh, and you know, we'd love to be working with your company and uh, you know, you're going to be evaluating us over the next 15 minutes, over the next 15 days, you know, maybe 30 days to get an agreement in place. And once you look at the proposal, once we figure out exactly what you need, you know, what the pricing is, but I can tell you a couple things. As much as you're looking at us and evaluating, we're also evaluating you. And we see some things that we like, but there's also some red flags that just popped up online looking at you that we'd like to clear up. We're, you know, I don't know if we're lucky. I don't know if we're smart. We're super busy this time of year. We're growing fast. And we're just in a position where we're able to choose our customers. And so we'd like to get in position to be able to choose you. And we're not quite there yet. But look, we'll tell you what we have. We'll give you some time to talk about what your needs are in context of what we're proposing. Right, yeah. and if our circles overlap, and and uh, we'll find a way to go forward. Okay, there's almost a scarcity play there. There's almost a bit of like you, when you think well, it's think a bit where you you flipped it a bit back to the whole flip the script thing. There's a bit where I'm thinking, you know, you're I've got all the power, all the choice, and you've put something in the mix, which changes that equation. Yeah, this is why you have to know what you're doing because it looks yeah. like scarcity, but it's really values. Okay, so you know, I'll continue. Keep going. Yeah. One thing is a big firm like you can have really long decision cycles. So if you're, you know, we want to talk about it and the accounting software and the plugin and everything like that. But if you're saying today, hey, my decision-making process is 90 days, like we're basically out, okay? That's too long of a cycle for us to work with and propose and educate and work with the customers. So really, ideally, it would be two weeks at the far end. You know, I'd be willing to work with you guys for about 30 days. But if you're saying, hey, I can't get it past the board of directors, you know, I have to find the Loch Ness Monster and ask her what she thinks, right? And we're sort of 65, <laughs> 70 days out. It's sort of hail fellow, well met. Good to have your name in the Rolodex. But uh, this probably, we, we don't have that long to spend on a uh, transaction cycle. Right? We just have to meet you later on or never, right? So that's my value system. I'm not going to spend 60 days chasing a $17,000 deal uh so like what values do you have nick like what are, what are the things that make you mad what are your values yeah so i call the same the same thing you're talking about i call standards right so it's a similar sort of thing so for example um if someone asked me to do a credentials so i'm pitching for some business and they ask me to do credentials or they ask me sometimes they ask me to go through depending on the size of the deal to go through procurement right and yeah. i don't do it right so i don't believe in doing that i don't believe in going through that because the it depends on obviously the size of the deal and what i'm doing if i'm doing it for my own business um, I say to them, I say, listen, you know, I don't do that. And I'll spend a bit of time doing exactly what you've just done um, and saying the reasons why. And what's interesting about that is if I get that right in the right situation, I win, win more business off the back of that piece or that standard than I do by having to go through some crappy tick box exercise where I'm going to get valued on price anyway. Sure. But I think that's tactical and I think it's correct, right? But it's also tactical, but let's take yeah. it, you know, up or down or sideways a level of the values because I think everybody, you know, everybody listen to this, say, hey, what are your company values? Oh, we believe in fairness and trust and loyalty and do the right thing and treat the customer the way you want to be treated by yourself and don't lie, cheat or steal and can work on time and work hard and, you know, whatever fucking values are, right? But those are, you know, those are values that uh, are found in the Bible, not, you know, so. No, 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 I get it. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, but they're quite flexible. So, so what are, I mean, what are your values? So my values in business or just in life? Just, they are slightly just in different. life, yeah. What makes you mad? Oh, uh, people, people not showing up and giving their best. People sort of taking the piss and being um, not authentic. Um, people who are probably not results orientated enough. I like, I like things to be, you know, precision and driven by that. So I'm quite okay. Great. That. So, so let's put a pin in that. Right. Okay. Those are actually pretty, those are great values. Right. And they're very specific to you. I ask a lot of people what their values are. Right. And they'll say different things. So what makes you mad? I don't like people lying to me. People lie to me all the time. I don't really care. So, so you're right. It, it's not one of my values. I just get lied to and I just deal with it because uh, I don't know. It doesn't bother me that much. I know what's going to happen. But so, so one of yours was timeliness. Yeah. Right. And I'll, I'll show you something, you know, that can really establish that value. Uh, you do lots of calls. I do lots of calls, right? And invariably, people come late to calls. I mean, to be fair, you came late to this call. I mean, you're in England and it's late at night and you're doing the best you can. And, you know, you got kids and family and a business and the podcast and, you know, but came a couple minutes late. 
but you know, I deal with guys $500 million or worth $750 million or running $10 million companies, you know, it's a $5 million deal, whatever. They always come late because of life, right? And I'm not sure it even makes me that mad, but I always go, you know, and I just come on time because it's just one of my values, timeliness, right? And so I'll just say, hey, Nick, be here for the 1004 call. In the first five words they hear from me in that presentation is all about my values, right? And, and they'll, people will always say, I don't care if the guy's worth $750 million. They'll go, oh my God, I'm so sorry. You know, we have, um, uh, we've got some, there were the fires in Northern California. We've got a bunch of trucks, you know, chopped. We can't get a shipment through. Our servers went down. I'm really sorry. Won't happen again. Good to meet you, right? And so establishing values early and often gives you leverage later on in sale. Is there, ever, is there when, any, ever a time where you compromise it in the situation? Well, when you think, you know what, it's not yeah, going to work? Yes, we, we compromise values because it's impossible to have trust and yeah. loyalty and faithfulness and honesty and timeliness. It's like nobody can live up to that. But God, I know, you know, and, and so w- what I do is communicate the things that I can and can't live with. Now, okay. the secret is, I don't know, secret, but the, the job in a pitch is to establish those early. So when people break those values later down the road, it's, I already told you, right? That doesn't work for me. See, when somebody breaks one of your values towards while you're closing or towards the end of a pitch, they never heard of it before. They don't know why you're mad, right? They don't know why you're calling. It doesn't make any sense. You're just calling them out on timeliness or inability to commit. But if you say, listen, I, we're lucky to be choosy and I'm choosing people who once they get a proposal and we commit to a decision date, they're there. They either say, Oren, I love this. Let's do it. Oren, it's not for us. We're gone by that date. That's who I'm looking to work with, right? People who are non-committal and wishy-washy and blow dates, they're just not for me, okay? They could be great people, great companies, right? But they can go to Sandler, they can go to McKinsey, or they can go to Goldman Sachs, or they can go somewhere else where that stuff works. It doesn't work over here, right? So then, which is true, it's authentic, right? Then I can stick to my guns at the end, and it's not a tactic, and I say, hey, guys, you said Tuesday was a decision date, right? We've been working on this for three weeks. As I told you, I really have to evaluate you guys on whether this works for me, right? And if you guys are super wishy-washy, look, you need another day, you need two days to understand. But if you continue to be super wishy-washy around deadlines, a red flag, I don't think as much as we can raise money for you, help your company, do the right things, um, uh, and, and make your company scale up. And a winner, as much as we can do that, doing the things we said, I don't know if we'll be able to work together because this is unusual to me. Yeah, because it's only going to come on. It's going to unpack at some point anyway, isn't it? So if you right. see it early, you know, the whole deal, the whole relationship, post it. This, this is what I'm saying. You can be super aggressive on your value. That gives you leverage, right? You can be super aggressive with people on your values because it doesn't matter. It's going to unpack at some time. I don't yeah, care if people lie to me. Go ahead, lie to me, Nick. You know, I don't care. Like, it just doesn't bother me because it just happens too much and I can't deal with it. So I just ignore it, right? But with you, and so that thing won't unravel a deal. Other things will, right? Yeah. Uh, What's your uh, your number one value? Do you have a number one or are there a series of them? My number one value is that you do what I say. No. uh, So the, (laughs) the the things that make me mad are time wasters because anything that waste my time, I miss out on spending time with that little boy. It's the number one thing in my life. So you see, it's not my value is spending time with my family. My value is time wasters, right? So I don't have a lot of time to build rapport and chit chat and, and uh, talk about stuff with people I'm not in business with, right? Because I could be spending that time with my, so, so that's my, one of my highest values. Uh, the second one is as strange as it seems, I have a value around financial models, right? I don't care what you're doing. If there isn't a financial model, I don't understand. I can't understand the business. We don't have goals. We don't have KPIs. Model, model, model. How do you want me to raise money? How do you want to help scale your company? How do you want to pitch anything? How do you want to close sales when you don't have a financial model with levers that you understand? So one of my values is we put a financial model in place. If it's not there, we have to create it, right? And the third thing is that, you know, you have to be willing to pay for when, when you engage with a service firm for talking. Most people assume that talking is free, right? And they want to pay for roofing and construction and trucks and servers and, you know, bandwidth access. 
right? If you've never paid for talking, <laughs> I need to know very early on that you've got budget for that. Because, you know, with like investment banking and services, if no one's bought your kind of service before, right? The first thing you have to do is pitch them why the service is worth paying for. And that's a very frustrating process because you're pitching an entire industry, right? You're not pitching you. When people go in, hey, we've, you know, we've had bankers before. Uh, we're looking for a banker. I can pitch into that. When people go, hey, we're looking for someone to help us raise money, right? We've always done it on our own. That's a very difficult pitch because they don't know the value of banking. Got it. So, uh, so my values are that you're willing to pay for talking, that uh, you're efficient with time, and that we're working from a financial model, right? And you break those things along the way, I can't work with you. Those are weird values, but they're mine and they make me mad. No, but at least you've got something that you can always, you know, qualify and, and work, work on to basically sort of say what you get involved in and not. So it's clear. Right. So, yeah. So we have status, mm-hmm. right? Uh, we didn't talk that much about of, of expertise, showing yeah. someone that you're an expert instead of telling them. And then uh, uh, having leverage, which is really having values that you can call people out on and, and say, look, I'm, I'm uh, the number one expert in doing this. I've solved this problem a thousand times. We're perfect for each other. Uh, you know, we, we're choosing each other. And you know, ultimately, uh, this is how we work together, right? And that's why in Flip the Script, I showed the buyer's formula. This is how you work with, this is how you win, right? In accounting software. This is how you win in buying accounting software, right? And teaching someone how to buy. And so those, that's modern uh, sales in which the buyer eventually goes, you know what? I love this. How do, what's the next step? Let's work together, right? And there's no grand... So what do you think? Is this something you want? Should, right? When we close deals, the buyers go, this is awesome. I love it. How do we work together? That's talk a close. About this. You talk about this in the book in terms of the concept of inception. Yeah. So it becomes the other person's idea to some extent. Can you unpack that for us a bit? Yeah, okay, sure. Is that what it is? I think you know, most people are familiar with the movie Inception, right? Yeah. But your job today as a salesperson is to create transparently, invisibly, without them seeing you pull the levers the discovery process where they come to the idea, Nick is my peer in the industry. He's at my level. He's an absolute expert in my problem. I know exactly why and how I should buy from him. I know what's changing in the market, how that change is going to affect me. Why do something now? Why Nick? And I understand that uh, because we're peers and we respect each other, I've got to move towards a decision in an economical way in order for Nick to stick with me because he's the number one expert. We should go forward together. That's what Inception is, unpacked. Wow. But okay. to the buyer, they just go, oh, I, I love this guy. He knows exactly what we need. He knows when we need it, how to do it. I really believe the things he's saying will happen. I can't. I don't want to go through all this diligence and see, yeah, we got to check the boxes, but he's our guy unless something goes wrong. Right. And so, so, you know, you're, you have a very technical show. Here's a technical term, confirmatory diligence. Okay. Inception in many ways is about converting the buyer from doing due diligence. Yes. Yes. Confirmatory. <laughs> diligence. Pretty cool. Right. So, I like that. I like that. Because we talk about that word gets overused, due diligence. I'll tell you what, it's everywhere these days. Is that kind no, of listen. <laughs> so, so how old are you? You're, you're 23? How old are you? I wish. Do I look 23? Yeah, 45, you do. 45, my man. 45. 25. All right. Yeah. And, right. You, and your knees are bad? <laughs> 45. Too much running. Too much running. That's how it is. No, I'm, I'm getting old, man. I'm getting old. Okay. Yeah, we're getting old. So, so we're the same age. But listen, you're, you're back in the day. Right when you got into M and A and turnaround and yeah. and the financial markets, due diligence was a very focused term used by lawyers and bankers, right? And it, it was a most people you say due diligence they could you know kind of make a sense of it. They didn't really understand today, right? It, you two housewives in Wisconsin are thinking about buying a refrigerator, and Susan says to Mary, "Hey, did you do your due diligence at Home Depot?" Right? It's when you say it's overused. <laughs> yeah, it's overused. That's exactly my, I was going to exactly say that. It's used, used for validating or trying to confirm risk around anything. Yeah. yeah. So no, crazy. But so this, I'll give you an example. When, when you have this kind of control, right? And the buyer goes, hey, can you give us a couple of references? Right. There's no contract. There's no agreement to move forward. It's, hey, can you give us some references? Uh, sure. I'll give you a reference in confirmatory diligence. 
our customers are not our marketing department, you fuck. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool, man. It's all right. So, but in, but in all seriousness, you know, hey, uh, could you provide us some um, uh, references? You know, it'd be good to see, talk to some other people that you've done this for that will help us move forward in the process. Uh, no, right? Our customers are in our marketing department. There's all kinds of regulatory issues in doing that. And I'm happy to provide you a name or two in confirmatory diligence. Once we have a contract, once we have a start date, once everybody's signed off and it's go, right? And you want to confirm that, uh, you know, other guys have happy to provide you a name at that point. But they, we don't know if we like each other. We don't have this thing scoped out. Um, we don't have a, a scope of work. Uh, we don't have, a, you know, pricing. We don't have a start date and we don't have an agreement signed. Let's focus on the things that are important, right? And, and so Inception is about somebody not needing to do a ton of due diligence and moving most of their stuff into the checkbox list of confirmatory diligence do you have a license will somebody so say if, I, if, I, if i've already bought into that so if the idea let's say to, to, to yeah. simplify that if the idea is mine and i and you and i'm already thinking you know i you're essentially helping me to some extent validate that because it's like well of course i'm going to work with you because you know everything that's happened before that in terms of the i see you as someone that appeared to me you're expert in the field then actually i'm buying to you're solving my problem so therefore, it's yeah. not really you selling to me. It's me wanting to buy. Yeah. I, maybe I can give you an example and bring it home. Uh, so what, what kind of cars what kind of cars are in your background? You're, you're an old guy. You've owned a ton of cars. We've got, we, we like Porsches. Porsches. Okay. I mean, that's like saying healthcare. Like Porsches is one third of the car universe. Can you be that's more specific? Said, we've got two of those. <laughs> like Air-cooled 73 RSR, you know, a, a, late, uh, a late 80s, you know, oh, so platform. Now we're, now we're going to get into the car thing. I mean, I've had yeah. a heap of cars. I've had heaps. So I've had, I've had BMW M3s. I had a years ago, a couple of Golf GTIs when you go back. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, just take it to M3. That's a perfect example, right? You got your M3. Yeah. Uh, just give me a year range. Uh, so I had a 2004 M3. Perfect. So it was the beautiful, whatever. Yeah, it's a beautiful, nice car. Love that. So, you know, if you go to bring a trailer and that kind of thing, there's, there's a resurgence in these, uh, you know, early 2000s uh, M's. They're beautiful cars. Really cool. Yeah, I love that. Anyway, you, you buy an M3, you know, you get it off of bring a trailer, eBay or whatever your equivalent is there in that country that you live in. Um, <laughs> it's probably the same, mate. It's not, it's not like we're in sort of, you know, far, far Western sort of, you know, middle of nowhere, but yeah, yeah. eBay exists. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, uh, uh, you, you get the car, you know, you're driving it for a thousand miles and it starts making a noise, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, the fan belt starts spinning, which yeah. is not that crazy, but it's also like a crunchy noise. So you take it in a mechanic, mechanic goes, Hey, look, this really, um, uh, you know, we can hear it. Look, it's 200 quid. You leave it here or whatever you call. What's your money called? Pounds. You, pounds. Pounds okay. over here. Yeah. What's a quid? What's a quid? It's a pound. It's a pound. Okay. Yeah. It's like slang. <laughs> It's like slang for a pound. I'm from Australia originally, so I'm getting confused now. <laughs> okay. All right. Hi, mate. Um, hello, mate. So it's, it's 200 pounds. Mechanic tells you, we'll take a look at it. We'll give you a call once we find out what it is. If you decide to get it repaired here, we'll credit the 200 pounds to the repair bill. And you go, well, I, I don't have a lot of certainty and trust that my problem is solved. I'm sort of getting into a situation but it's a taxi cab principle. You, you know, before you get in the cab, you should know how much it is to get out of it, right? And I'm just getting in the cab. Uh, so you go, let me check one more place. So you take it down to another mechanic and, you know, Heinrich steps out and he's got a little badge on his blue uniform and his hands in his pocket. And it looks like a mechanic. He's got tattoos, you know, up his left arm. He's got the little handlebar, you know, mustache and his hair is greased over. Like, and it looks like a mechanic. He comes in, got hands in his pocket, he kicks the tires and he goes, you know, press the accelerator and goes, crunch, crunch. He goes, oh, yeah. So listen, in 2003, there was a fire in Stuttgart when they made this model and they had these, uh, you know, made over uh, in uh, Frankfurt, you know, in the factory there. And what happened is they didn't really convert over the fan belt. So they started using 2305C instead of 23079, which is the correct fan belt. And that related into the throwout bearing. It's just a little bit of oil here. That's from the throwout bearing. This is starting to wobble. You're going to have a 7,000 pound problem here if you don't get ahead of this. We keep the 2709 bearing, 27305Bs in the back. We do about 400 of these a year. Leave it here. Come back tomorrow morning. It's 500 pounds. I'll have it ready for you. That's showing someone. I know, I know where I'm spending my money straight away from that. Because back to the certainty point, you know, there's someone who also is a bit as passionate about the car as I am. Passionate, 
certain confidence, knows the language of the business, has solved your problem 500 times before, has everything in stock, has the know-how, right? That instills certainty. You look around, the place looks good. You look on Yelp, it's got 1,200 reviews. You know, uh, he's talking to you as a peer, not asking for your work. That's the status, right? Uh, And then the next thing, if if I was orchestrating that sale just to be, you know, instructional on it, you know, if, if I was that mechanic, I would look at it and say, you know, this thing hasn't been clean in two weeks. So I got to ask you about that because I work with people. I'm busy. Look at that. I got 50 cars on the lot here. I work with people. This is the M3 who love their cars, right? If this is a daily driver, grocery getter that sits outside and just going to rust it out, I don't want to invest my time and energy in it. What is this car to you? And then you're defending your car ownership and why you haven't cleaned it in two weeks in the mechanic, who ultimately just some guy, you know, you're trying to hire. And now you're making the case that you're a good car owner. And then he accepts you into taking your money, working on your car, finishing it. That is modern inception in which you are turning around and, and, and in your mind, it's not a question. I now want Heinrich to work on this car. I'm trying to get in this garage. You know, hey, if I paid you in advance, um, would you accept me? That's creating, in a simple example, and, but the same thing can be done in complex enterprise sales, whether it's software, SaaS, services, banking, uh, you know, wealth management, whatever the case is. It's the, the same process. Till somebody trusts you, till somebody uh, um, you believes your high status, they have certainty that what you say will happen in the future, and you have some leverage uh, based around values, then it's just going to be difficult today to close those sales. You know, if, you, if you're trying to close a sale with information and features, uh, it's, you know, there's a long cycle of discounting and frustration and, uh, um, you know, low conversion. As you're, as you're explaining, and I think back to some deals that I've done, the deals that have been the most successful have got elements of this in them. Not all of them uh-huh. as perfectly explained as the M3 analogy, which is great, by the way. Yeah. But I think yeah. back to it, there's bits where I haven't, the, the way that I've portrayed myself in the room in the deal has been one of, do you know what? take it or leave it to some extent. I'm here. I can do this job. If you know, if you want me to help you, I can help you. But you know what? I'm not going to kind of oversell myself here or oversell the thing that I'm needing um, yeah. for various reasons. And, and they're the ones that have always come back and well, been the most lucrative. Well, I think that to me, if you want to be explicit about it, you know, is a frame or the value of, I won't do this for you. Okay. I'll do it with you. I will not work harder on your company than you will work on it yourself. So, if we're in a position here where you're saying, what will you do? When will you do it? How do we measure it? And we're going to sit back like judges in a singing contest is not how I work. Okay. I will not work harder on your company than you'll work on it yourself. That is unfair. That's not parody. Let's figure out you do your part and I'll do my part and we'll each hold up our end. And we'll make it work. So, you know, here's another sort of value-based close or system, you know, that I'll use is I'll say, listen, this is a big scope of work here. Here's what I like to do, right? Let's, let's frame out something we know with great certainty I can deliver on, something I've done a thousand times and something you need. So I think about it like this. A, do we like working together? We got to work on something to find that out. B, do we work together well? As much as we like working, you know, just hang out and drink and, you know, draw, uh, uh, you know, diagrams on the whiteboard and, you know, have a lot of fun. You know, do we work well together? Do our teams gel? Not just do we like work? And can we produce something of value? And 3B is not as do we think it's a value, but when we get in front of users and customers and other people, right? And the CEO and the CFO and other people, do they think it's valuable? So let's get that done before we take over the known universe with this grand scale scheme. And if we work together, uh, well, we like each other. We like each other. You know, what's the chance that it's going to fall apart? Not much, but you know, things happen. Do we work well together? A little bit more risk. There's a thing that we, can we actually produce something? Is that thing valuable? If we get there, then let's scope something further out and go further. That's how I think about it. Right? And then now we're set up to deliver a value, which is to say, listen, I got to choose carefully who we're going to work with here, installing this accounting software, API, services, M&A, wealth management, whatever. Because I got to tell you, something complicated like doing this 
and we do this all the time. Don't just be a day, two weeks from now, three weeks from now, six weeks from now, where I won't deliver something on time that you need. Like it's actually not going to happen or you're not going to send me over a payment on who knows, right? And it will be incurable. I'm not going to send you over a spreadsheet that you need to go make a pitch to win a customer. And it doesn't show up as promised. And you're mad and you should be mad. And sorry doesn't cover it. And we are mad at each other, right? Is this a relationship that will get to the other side of that? Two people mad at each other, still having to work together, still having the big picture in mind, irreconcilable differences, still working on making something happen. Are you that person? Am I that person? Are we that person together? I don't know, but we got to find out. And I got to make a judgment call about you. And that's what I'm trying to sort out as we work yeah, through cool. these things. Well, so the start, I mean, it's massively, I can see the examples that you're giving across, it's massively powerful. Do you ever have a time where you just don't get the right notes? You know, you go into a room and, and the status or whatever else, and there's someone there who's just got the biggest whatever in the room and goes, you know what? I'm just not going to buy this. I'm not into this way. You know, how do, how do you play that? Does that happen to you? Yeah, it has. A, I was working with a billionaire. And uh, it's funny, I, I worked for his brother, also a billionaire, randomly. They don't really talk to each other. Right? Are you watching Succession? Are you watching the show Succession on HBO? Uh, it's, not over, well, it's not over here. Not like I've seen anyway. Oh, you don't have HBO in the country you live in? No, you can get it somewhere, but we've got Sky and all these other weird things. I can probably find it if I go searching through weird things, but you recommend well, it? I might check it out. Yeah. From it, it, you know, if you're from banking or M&A, or that, it's beautifully written, it's Succession. I'm still right? on Billions, put it that way. So, you know. Yeah, it's, it's billions with better writers. Oh, good. Okay. okay. <laughs> Check it out. Uh, succession. Uh, but anyway, so I'm working with this billionaire and it's a, we're proposing a $250,000 uh, services contract, right? Yeah. And, and we're not making that much money on it. You know, we really want the credibility of working with this guy. And so uh, he's got his lawyer there and we sit around and we go around for an hour and I say, it's $250,000. And they go, well, you know, we could, we could pay 90 for it. So I'm like, I, like, I don't you won't pay 90, it's 250. So I just put my laptop and I got all these papers out. So I'm stuffing them in my briefcase and it's quite a production. I got a small briefcase, a lot of papers, laptop, you know, all in there, you know, it's like a movie and I get out. I'm like, well, I, I'm nice to have met you, but I got to leave. So I, I get out, they let me stand up, start heading for the door. I'm like, wait, 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 sit down. Right. I sit down and pack all my papers, laptop, I'm back in, log back into it. And then, you know, we go through it again. And I go, you know, it's 250. Maybe I can come down to, you know, 249.9989, you know, but more than that, I can't do it. <laughs> Got well, it. you know, we could, we could do 110. I just stuff all my papers back in the lap. It's not because it's showmanship. I just, I can't do it. And I get up to leave and I go, wait, 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 come back down. And then it turns into like a romantic comedy, right? Like I don't want to leave because I want the contracts. And when they say come back, I come back. Right. But I really have a margin I'm doing it. I can't go back to my team and saying, you know, we're doing it for less. So I want the deal. So if they call me back and they say they're wanting to negotiate and this goes up and down and up and down until finally $250,000, they agree to it. It was like hours and I, I really needed it. And it was a, a huge win. So, um, but the willingness to stick to your guns and say, it doesn't work for me. Nice to meet you. I've got to move on to something else. Thank you. Well, as you know, as you said, we'll tip more deals in, then you'll lose. And that is one way I learned yep, it there. It certainly does. And it's one of those things that you've got to be, you've got to be brave, if you like. You've got to have the courage in the room to be able to do that. And a lot of people have, you know, that. But I think if you have values that you'll stick to, yeah. you don't have to have courage, right? You're just dialing in to your authentic self. But I wonder how many right? times you ask the question about people's values, whether they can answer the question. Yeah. Well, I think you got to ask it of yourself. Yeah, yeah. No, precisely. All right. Well, let's get to your questions. Yeah. Well, listen, you've been gracious with your time. I think, have we covered enough? I mean, there's a whole heap of stuff, heaps of value for people in terms of the, the book. I mean, I've read it. The one thing I like about it, the stories throughout, which obviously you've sensitized to some extent, are awesome in their own right, just to make it come yeah. alive like you, like you have today. So we have a couple of questions. So, and this has come from the community, so to speak. So, so there's one here I don't want to ask, but I'm going to ask in a second. But someone said here, um, Aaron is, is clearly a very focused guy. What is his routine to fire himself up and make sure he achieves his end result? Now, I imagine this is coming from like before you go into a, a pitch, do you kind of meditate? <laughs> I'm making that. What do you do? Yeah. You just I, walk in and you're there? What, what do you do? I, truthfully, you know, there's some music I love. 
And if I can bring my headphones and I can listen to sort of centering, you know, I spoke for Tony Robbins quite a few times and he jumps up on the thing and eats blueberries and has a certain kind of shit. Yeah, I've been to his events, I've danced around and hugged people. Yeah, I know. It. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, don't, I don't go to those extremes. If I can listen to these couple songs. What are they? Light the Sky by um, uh, Thousand Foot uh, Crutch, uh, you know, Song of the South uh, by, uh, I think it's by Alabama. And, you know, just a couple things that I really, um, uh, you know, can dial into, right? And that really helps because it just brings me back. It's the only motivation thing I do. It just sort of grounds me and, and, and centers me. So that listening to music that you love and is your Rocky, right? Is your, yeah. I was on a run the other day. I hurt my knees too, right? I was from my first five-mile run. I get to the top of the hill. You can't make this shit up, right? A minivan full of teenagers, pulls up, right? And they roll down their windows, right? And they put on Eye of the Tiger, right? It's the Eye of the Tiger, you know, as I'm getting to the top of the hill and they all start seeing it. This is good. Like amazing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I don't do a lot of that, that stuff, but if you can hear some music that really brings you back to, uh, you know, some piece of state. Um, and the other thing I do right before I go on, is just really make sure in my own mind that I understand all they have is money and money is a commodity. I so that's mean. interesting. Okay. That, Cause there's another question that came through, which backs onto that, yeah. which is similar. I think we've talked about it. If, you, if you're going into a situation um, where this is a question mainly about pitch anything, cause they mentioned frame control, which I know we haven't covered, yeah. but if you're standing, if you're trying to pitch to someone who clearly has higher financial or social standing and you're, yeah. let's say you're, the poor bugger in the room and you're having to pitch against that. How do you, how do you play your psychology to that? Is the question. Absolutely. Very easy. Oh, Hey guys. Good to be here. Really excited. Uh, wanted to meet you guys for a while. Right. I know you guys are busy. I'm glad we could both get this t date and time on the calendar. Okay. Uh, looks like most of you guys are here. I'm ready to go. Does anybody need fluids in or out? If not, let's roll. I'm going to tell you for about 15 minutes exactly what we have, the ROI, why we think it's important to do now, uh, why it works for you, and why us. And then I'll give you some time in context of what we do to talk a little bit about your problems and needs. If our circles overlap, we'll find a way to go forward. I've literally got about an hour to do this. Need to be efficient with time. If it's okay with you, again, fluids in or out, let's get started. Right, so you're taking that control of the room. A million things, but mostly, so when you say that, the right tone with seriousness, people will put down their phones, close their laptops, and pay attention because they go, this is fucking awesome. I'm in, finally in the hands of a professional. Like it. And that's how you get frame control. Got it. All right. Last couple of questions. As, I'm, as I said, you've been very gracious with your time. So do a bit of a quick fire on this. Best piece of advice you've ever received? Is there one bit that stands out in your career? Three words. Three words. Model, model, model. And we're not talking about girls. Okay? <laughs> I thought you might be for sex. Yeah. <laughs> model as we in behavior. Should be. well, we we should like be, but we're on Nick's show. The next show, maybe the fashion show. industry. But this show we we're talking about. The, the cool cars and hot chicks podcast later. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, let's do that. The model. So, <laughs> if you don't have a model that you know that represents the levers in your business. That when somebody says to you, hey, uh, you know, what if you got 2% better conversion rate and started spending another $100,000 of marketing over the next six months? And you don't know basically either what that does or where to go in your model to change those numbers to see what your financial results will be two years from now, then you can't run your business. Best advice I ever got. Because yeah, I, I bring this guy, Jim, at Crossing Deals all the time. You know, where's the model? Oh yeah, we're working on it. Bring it back when you have a model. Hey, Jim, what do you think about this? deal where's the model and then finally hey jim and you just say orin model 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 click <laughs> okay wow that's the best advice you ever got model awesome all right mate i love it as i said i think we're getting close on time so um hey it's been good fun we're gonna have to i'll, I'll, I'll hook you up we'll go when i go to san diego I'll come down and get out in the lamborghini that sounds yeah. good come down come up to the office we got tons of stuff here and we got some we you know it's funny we have some stuff that we think is exotic that you'll be like what is that we have a defender 110 right yeah you know, yeah, why do you have that piece of shite? Uh, 
And no, 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 uh, no, 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 no. my background was um, car and motorcycle magazines, man. So I used to work yeah. on like some of them you would have read actually because they're pretty they're international. So I used to go yeah. to a place and we'd have all sorts of stuff in the garage. It was awesome. So no, that sounds fun. Well, you know, I, I owned the number eight Britain for a couple of years. Really? Uh, from John Britton from New Zealand. Uh, I had John Kaczynski's uh, Kajiba 500 that won in Mugello. Uh, yeah. I had five of the known 70 NR750s. Uh, let's see. Man, this is awesome. Had, yeah. Uh, just, you know, and we still have a bunch of that stuff here. You know, magazine, magazine cover bikes. Fantastic. Well, listen, as I said, mate, you've been awesome with your, with your time. So I really appreciate it. There's a okay, heap great. Come. Where can people, last thing, where can people find you? Oh, yeah. Hey, I forgot to mention. Uh, so get Flip the Script on Amazon. You'll love that. If you go to orenclaff.com, I'm running a contest right now. I'll fly somebody out here, pay oh, to put you up in the hotel on the beach, and we'll work on your business for wow. a little bit of time. And awesome. so just go over That's to orenclaff.com, put your name in, and hopefully you'll be the winner of that. Excellent. Well, listen, thanks again, Oren. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. And uh, yeah, have a fantastic day. See you, man. All right, Nick. See you later. So what did you think of that? pretty powerful stuff isn't it and you know as much as you can listen to that and think wow you know i haven't quite yet got that or i'm you know that that the level of confidence that oren has that that just seems too far away from where i am you know what i'd say to you is a lot of this stuff is just practice and the, the great thing about um flip the script and and oren's first book pitch anything is that it's it's about a toolkit it's about giving yourself more breadth and more understanding about what you can do and what i've done personally with this is i've taken bits that work for me not everything works for me, but I've taken bits that do work for me. I've applied them in my businesses. I've applied them in, in opportunities where I'm trying to influence, pitch, lead. And I can tell you the stuff works brilliantly. So definitely go out there and get Oren's new book. And if you've got any additional questions, please reach out to me or even to Oren himself. I'll make sure that his details are on the show notes today. So before I finish, just a quick announcement So uh, my first um, masterclass is launching very, very shortly. It's a 90-day business growth accelerator, and it's going to be actually launching towards the end of the year, but we're going to um, have people um, have the opportunity to apply to join that program within the next couple of weeks. So really what I've done is a lot of people are asking me now about, you know, what's what's the playbook on scale up and certainly even startups to some extent. So I've created a model which encompasses many of the stuff that I've talked about on the podcast, but I want it to be more of a format where you can come and learn this stuff from me, from others. And it's going to be a very, very select group because I don't want this to become a a huge, uh, it's not just like turning up to a class and getting spoken to, if you like, it's going to be a workshop format, mastermind online format. And I'm going to have probably about 14 people maximum in each group. Things we'll cover, vision, obviously, you know, know your why, live your purpose metrics and understanding where you are today in your business, crafting your value proposition, um, creating what I call a social media selling machine. So I talk a lot about that in in line with personal branding, engineering operational leverage with systems and automation in your business, setting your culture, building your team, and and a lot on what I call the strategic growth playbook, which is the acquisitions and buying businesses for no money down. So that's it. As I said, it's coming in the next couple of weeks. If you're interested in being in that program, I'm quite happy to have a conversation with you now and give you a bit more information on that. So if that's you, please reach out to me again on any of the social media channels you can get me on. Probably LinkedIn is best or Facebook, but look out for the launch of that in the next couple of weeks. And as I said, the program will be starting towards the end of the year. So that's it for today's show. Thank you again for listening. And as I always say, be grateful, be brave, have faith and show up. Bye for now.